Letter six is all about anxiety. Anxiety. The letter is going to begin, remember, World War II has broken out in this fictional uh, account here. World War II has broken out, and so the question is going to be about the draft. Will the patient be conscripted? Will this young British man be called in to military service or not? Already that could produce great anxiety in the man. And so let's watch how Screwtape, is advised, uh, uh, how Screwtape advises Wormwood to play on that fear and anxiety. Uh, a very, very modern and relevant uh, topic. Here we go, letter six. Are you there? My dear Wormwood, I am delighted to hear that your patient's age and profession make it possible, but by no means certain, that he will be called up for military service. Even there in the first sentence. What Screwtape loves about it, if he had just, if it were certain that he'd be drafted, then it's like, he, okay, he'd figure out how to deal with that. Or if, if, he were, if it were somehow certain that he would not be drafted, he would figure out how to deal with that. What Screwtape loves is the uncertainty of it all. That there's a really good chance, but it might not. Um, Jackie, if you get a chance, there's a remote right inside there. And I, I don't know how this one turned back on, but I don't know how to turn it off. <laughs> but anyway, that, that would distract me. I don't know if that distracted anybody. You may not have even noticed until I pointed it out. Oh, okay. right. Screwtape. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Screw that. Those with ears here. Those, you know. Um, so he wants that um, that uncertainty. He writes, "We want him to be in the maximum uncertainty, so that his mind will be filled with contrary pictures of the future. Every one which arouses hope or fear. Ah, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy." I try to do this when we come across a line like this. I try to um, uh, let you know, headline, this is a big one. This is a big one in the book. And so here we go. I'll, I'll write it on the board for you. You ready? He wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Everybody think long and hard about this. He wants men people to be concerned with what they do. We, the enemy, want them always concerned with what? Want them with what will happen. <coughs> I cannot, I, cannot over, I cannot overstate the importance of that sentence and understanding Lewis's thought here. He's absolutely right. So much of my fear is about things that I can't control. And though we know that, logically, it, it makes sense, right? Why should you worry about anything? Logically, just logically, there's no reason to worry about anything. Why? Because there's only two kinds of things. There's things you can control and things you can't. You shouldn't worry about that which you can control. Just control it. Fix it, right? If, if it's under your control, then control it. And if it's outside your control, it's outside your control. So literally, there should be no worry. And yet we all know that doesn't work, traveling the 18 inches from our brain to our heart. That doesn't work. We internalize all this worry because we're so concerned what will happen. 
what will happen. But God is actually more concerned about our character. What choices will you make? How will you respond? I was reading a book years ago um, by uh, John Eldridge, and I, I forget which one. Uh, uh, sacred, um, somebody help me. The sacred, uh, sacred romance, sacred, sacred journey. I'm, I'm blanking. Has anybody read it? Uh, Screw tape letters. No, that wasn't it. Uh, uh, the um, uh, he wrote Wild at Heart. I anyway, he writes. He says, think about your life as a novel unfolding. When you especially, he was talking about when you go through suffering, when you go through hard time. Think about what happens in a novel. That, that hero, that character goes through all these hard times. So the question is, as you look back at the end of your journey, when you look back on your life's novel, what do you want to know? You want to know how did, the, how, did, how did this main character, how did the hero respond? You know, did they just give up? Did they, in other words, are you going to be proud of the way you responded? How did you react to this situation? It's not, when you look back on a novel, right? I mean, that, Kurt Vonnegut, all of the novelists, they say the same thing. You want to make a great novel, invent a character. Get people to fall in love with the character. Have every terrible thing you can think of happen to that character. That's the plot of a novel, right? That's what you do. So then, it, it, as you look back, we're so concerned, what, what are these terrible things going to happen to me? But as you look back on somebody's life, it's not the terrible things they went through. What, what, what you look back on is you go, but how did they, what did they do? How did they respond? He, God wants his concern, not with what's going to happen to us, but how are we going to live? What are we going to do? That is really important. I hope you got that because it's going to help guide your thinking for the rest of this letter. Now, your patient will, of course, have picked up the notion that he must submit with patience to the enemy's will. Everybody got that? Uh, uh, in other words, <laughs> you can't be a Christian for very long before you realize our Lord prayed in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done. One of the first things you'll learn as a Christian is probably the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it doesn't take long to realize, okay, we've got to submit to the enemy's will. What the enemy means by this is primarily that he should accept with patience the tribulation which has actually been dealt out to him, the present anxiety and suspense. It is about this that he is to say, thy will be done. And for the daily task of bearing this, that the daily bread will be provided. It is your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but only of the things he is afraid of. Don't worry, we're going we're to draw this whole paragraph up here on the whiteboard, and there will be stick figures involved. Uh, but uh, for the meantime... Before we go any further, does everyone know the phrase, my cross to bear? I realize as I'm reading through this, that may not be a very common expression anymore. It used to be very common, right? Uh, nowadays, if anything, it's often used lightly. It's used as a joke, right? Like, oh, my poor teenager, mowing the lawn is his cross to bear, right? Uh, uh, oh, his, the Wi-Fi went out. Oh. It's my little cross to bear. People use it as a joke, right? It obviously didn't start as a joke. It, the, the derivation is from the Bible, where Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after me, he's got to deny himself and take up his cross. In other words, what is that point of obedience where you can choose my will, sinful, if, if it's something that's sinful or selfish, choosing that instead, it's often a very painful route. It's often a very costly route but to choose the route of obedience. When you do that, as a disciple of Jesus, you're taking up 
cross and following him and making that choice. So, so that's why Lewis is going to use this phrase, you know, bearing that cross or this is your cross to bear. He's saying the point of obedience, the sticking point, is not in the thing out there in the future you're afraid of. It's that present state of mind, that present fear or that present anxiety. So let me read that sentence again and we'll get into this. It's your business to see that the patient never thinks of the present fear as his appointed cross, but only of the things he is afraid of. Let him regard them as his crosses. Let him forget that since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him. And let him try to practice fortitude and patience to all of them in advance. For real resignation at the same moment to a dozen different and hypothetical fates is almost impossible and the enemy does not greatly assist those who are trying to attain it. Resignation to present and actual suffering, even where that suffering consists of just fear, is easier and it's usually helped by this direct action. Okay, what an important paragraph. I think we need some stick figures. Here we go. Here's what Screwtape wants when it comes to your anxiety. Here's what he's advising. <clears throat> Here's you. Okay. You're a Christian. You're serving the Lord. But you've got some fear. And some anxiety. <laughs> uh, and what are you anxious about? You're anxious about, right here, you, you're thinking about some things in the future. Now let's give this guy some fears. What are some fears he has? Let's make him a young guy. And he is afraid. Uh, he is afraid. Ah, he uh, he hates his job, and he is scared to death uh, that he is going to be stuck in a job I hate. Okay, that is a fear that is out there in the future. It might happen that he'll be stuck in a job he hates. It might not. He is at the same time. He has another fear. And that fear is he's scared to death. He doesn't want to. He realizes it's a rough economy out there. And he's scared he will lose his job. Okay? Now, <clears throat> Screwtape is going to tell Wormwood, that's impossible. That is logically impossible. So poor Wormwood thinks, don't even try to tempt him to be afraid of both those things. Because they can't both possibly become true. But everybody who is a human being says, I know exactly how both those things could be a fear at the exact same time. Watch. Logically, you can't be afraid of both of these. If you are stuck in a job you hate, you never lost your job. And if you lost your job, congratulations. You're not stuck in a job you hate. Do you realize that many of you, I know this because of uh, self-awareness, <laughs> many of you are scared to death of two things right now that cannot both happen. So he's scared to death the war's going to break out and then he's going to be called into service. And he's scared to death that he'll be a coward and he'll refuse to be called into service. By logic, they can't both be true. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? You can't. All of your anxiety right now, forget every good promise you know about anxiety. Forget all the promises of Scripture you know about anxiety. Strictly on logic alone, right now, half of your worries should disappear. I know. <laughs> Did they? 
No, now I'm worried. I'm not even a logical person. I have even more worries. I know! That's the incredible thing about being a human. We can hold in our minds, look, let him regard, let him forget since they are incompatible, they cannot all happen to him. And so what you want, what Screwtape's trying to get you to do is try to get him to, oh, let me think about being stuck in a job I hate. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray about being stuck in a job I hate. It hasn't happened yet. But, okay, uh, if I'm stuck in a job I hate, Lord, just give me patience and, and help me try to do that. And also, if, if I lose my job, Lord, let me, let me deal with that or whatever. God isn't calling you to have real surrender and resignation over things that might happen hypothetically in the future, half of which shouldn't even logically be compatible. I'll tell you what he is calling you to deal with after I belabor this example. <laughs> Let's say he's a young guy and he is single, um, but he wants to be married and he looks around and he is scared to death that he, it won't happen for him and uh, he will remain single his whole life. On the other hand, he has... Um, <clears throat> He has met some people that are married that don't seem very happy at all. And so he's worried he'll be stuck in a loveless marriage. Now, here we have the exact same thing, don't we? Here we have the man is worried that it's never going to happen, and he's worried he'll be stuck in a loveless marriage. To which the demons get this immediately. The demons would say, well, wait, that's impossible. Because <clears throat> if it never happens and you never get married, congratulations. You're never stuck in a loveless marriage. On the other hand, if you're stuck in a loveless marriage, this fear never materialized. Congratulations. Right? Now, this may not make you feel better. All I'm trying to do is say, logically, these things should be cut in half. What Screwtape wants you focused on when it comes to anxiety. And some of you... The, 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 I'm reading your mail here. This is what's happening. You're trying right now. And according to, according to Screwtape, you can, you can try to make him have real resignation. That means surrender and coming to peace. Try to make him come to peace at the same moment to a dozen different and hypothetical fates. So I'm up to four. You guys will forgive me if I don't put up all dozen. But for many of you, a dozen would be like a start. To all the stuff going around in your head, right? Depending on seasons of life, there are many that have so much anxiety. He's saying, try to get them focused where? There's two places to be focused. Right here is the, the fear. That's where it all starts, okay? He's feeling the fear and he's feeling that. Or focus out here on the hypotheticals of what ifs. The whole point, the reason I drew all these stick figures and what, what you need to understand, if you really understand uh, uh, the, the letter six, screw tape wants, when it comes to fear and anxiety, he wants your mind stuck out here in the what-if zone. Okay? He wants you already beginning how you're going to do this and what are you going to do this. And, and I'm telling you, it, I hope that at least somebody raises an eyebrow or cracks a smile or somebody, I, surely I'm not the only one. You can work out hypothetical things that are going to happen. They haven't happened yet, but they're going to happen. And because they happen, somebody else is going to get angry. And they're going to start... You can have a hypothetical fight with somebody that hasn't even happened yet. I'm, surely I'm not the only one. And so you're already working out how this is going to go terrible and you're going to have to have this tough conversation all the time. None of it's happened. Screwtape wants you living out here in what if and what if. His point is, what? What is the present cross for this man? God gives grace for every temptation, for every trial. He gives grace, and he can help you through. 
What is he going to help you with right now? Right there. The patient's current activity, what he needs to be focused on is this. I am entering into a state of fear. Huh. Oh, look, I am, I am being tempted to live out here. I am currently entering into a state of anxiety. Lord, would you give me grace to overcome this moment right here of anxiety? Would you give me grace? I realize I'm, I'm entering into fear. And so I'm not even going to play Screwtape's game, and I'm going to realize the, the cross I'm meant to bear right now is the fear itself. For that, I need your help. And what Screwtape says, and he's right, is God, God can't pour out daily bread on tomorrow's problems. He, 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 you see what I mean? He can't. He can't he, there's no great. There's no hypothetical grace for all your hypothetical what ifs. What there is is daily bread to meet the daily need. See? Now, to me, this is one of the most incredible spiritual insights in the screw tape letters. Is where is your attention? And when it comes to anxiety, the anxiety itself is the thing for which. Uh, Screwtape suggests that's where you're going to get the help from God in dealing. All this other hypothetical stuff goes back to what I wrote up on the board. We're always concerned about what's going to happen to us. God concerns about God's concern is what we're going to do. And then as you walk through that, obviously, in you know, in reality, as you walk into this, and let's say he does lose his job. Well then, didn't Jesus say, when he talked about anxiety, didn't Jesus say, well then guess who's going to be there for the daily grace to meet that need when it comes? He, didn't he say, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own? I always used to read that and think it was so depressing. Like Jesus was like, no need to worry, tomorrow's going to be pretty bad too. Like that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, if, if you lose your job, then on that day, you won't be alone. You won't lose me. And I'm going to get you through that if and when it comes. It's going to be okay. What if it all works out? So what do you really need help with right now? What do you really need help with? Well, Lord, when you put it like that, I guess for right now, I haven't lost my job. I'm not stuck in a job I hate. I haven't been single. I'm not stuck in love. I guess what I need is help with the fear about all those things. God says, okay, then we can talk. I can help with that. See? Lewis goes even deeper with this next paragraph. An important spiritual wall is here involved. I have explained that you can weaken his prayers by diverting his attention from the enemy himself to his own states of mind about the enemy. Now for that, I'll just have to, you'll just have to go back to the last chapter, what was it, four on prayer, and, and be reminded of that. But he, he does mention that to Wormwood. On the other hand, fear becomes easier to master when the patient's mind is diverted from the thing feared to the fear itself considered as a present and undesirable state of his own mind. And when he regards the fear as his appointed cross, he will inevitably think of it as a state of mind. Now, that was a complex passage, but all he's saying is, uh, refer to Tom's stick figures. <laughs> okay? In other words, he, he, he's saying, uh, 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 if, if he can get back to the weight, the present state of mind is the fear, and get his mind off all that, right? It's interesting, because in prayer... He actually wants you to focus on the state of mind and not think about God. So what's going on here? An important spiritual law. Here's what he writes. One can therefore formulate the general rule. In all activities of mind which favor our cause, encourage the patient to be unselfconscious and to concentrate on the object. But in all activities favorable to the enemy, bend his mind back on itself. So let an insult or a woman's body so fix his attention outward that he doesn't reflect, huh, 
I'm now entering into the state called anger or the state called lust. Contrarywise, let the reflection, my feelings are now growing more devout or more charitable, so fix his attention inward that he no longer looks beyond himself to see our enemy or his own neighbors. Wow. Okay. Okay, here we go. Stick figure's about to get real. What on earth is this spiritual law? What's he talking about? Screwtape is advising Wormwood, if you really want to mess with a Christian, if you really want to trip him up, follow the following spiritual law about whether or not you want Christians to be self-aware or not. Where do you want their mind? Where do you want them thinking? And so he says, anytime you can get them thinking in matters that favor our cause, and we're just going to call this stress. Uh, this is what, what I said about, you know, I'll never, I'll never get married and I want to be married, or I'm going to lose my job, or in the case of Screwtape's uh, patient, you know, I'll be drafted into the war, and, you know, i got all those fears about that. Anything like that, okay, he says, keep him from focusing on himself. Focus all the attention out here. Get it all out here. Don't let him think, wait a minute, I'm entering into fear. Don't let him focus on himself. On the other hand, on the other hand, if there is uh, a good deed, um, say, you know, uh, 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 an act of love, or whatever, you know, um, instead, in that case, you want to do just the opposite. Instead of just focusing on the person in front of you to do some good deed of love and forgetting about yourself altogether, in that case, Screwtape wants you to do the opposite. He wants you to put all the focus on yourself in that case. So that instead of going, hey, I can help this person, you're left going, <laughs> what a fine chap I am. See? How good I am. How generous I am. Okay? So anything that helps Screwtape's cause have the focus go out there always on the stress and never be self-aware enough to realize, wait a minute, I'm entering into the, into the state of fear. I need help with that. And anything that benefits the enemy's cause, have him put his focus entirely on himself and ignore what's so obviously out there. Again, I don't know how he, uh, I don't know how Lewis uh, reads my mail on this, but uh, to me, that is, that is so rich. He uses the example of, of sin, right? So an insult or a woman's body so fixes attention outward that he doesn't reflect and think, huh, I'm now entering into the state called anger. No, 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 Keep, that favors his cause, right? So the, uh, the object, right, the, uh, the insult, right? Have him focused on that insult. Let him think about how, how angry it makes him instead of going, wait a minute, I'm currently entering into the state called anger. Huh, Lord, I need help for this anger. I, I really, I, I try to think of so many ways to illustrate this, but you'll see, starting tomorrow, if you can just get this principle down, you'll be able to watch for it, right? Even in the New Testament, it says about Satan, we're not unaware of his schemes. Tomorrow, as you commute to work, someone is going to cut you off. Let's, let's work this through the screw tape walls here. How many of you will focus on the person who cut you off. How dare they? What a jerk. They're probably trying to kill me, right? They do exactly what they're doing. And how many of you will say, huh, I'm now entering into the state of mind called rage. <laughs> Screwtape wants you utterly unself-aware in that moment because he favors his cause, right? Then 
when you get to work, as you, you, you commute to Birmingham and you make your way down there, and as you're, as you're going there, you pass and, uh, on I-65 and you see, oh, there's a little old lady and she's got a flat tire. And even though it's cold and it's raining tomorrow morning, you pull over. Now, Screwtape wants you the exact opposite. Now, instead of focusing on the old lady, are you okay? How can I help? The whole time, what are you doing? This is going on the grand. <laughs> I can't believe I'm such a good guy. And you know you get bonus points for the rain. <laughs> you know, this is amazing. I'm such a great guy. I'm such a good person. You see that? So where is your mind? Where are you focusing? You'll, I promise, if you'll get this uh, principle, it will make you more and more aware of what the enemy is trying to pull in your life. All right. So, um, I think we said enough about that paragraph. Let's move on. As regards. As regards is more, this, this next section sort of relates to this, uh, but in a slightly uh, different way. As regards his more general attitude to the war, eh, you must not rely too much on those feelings of hatred which the humans are so fond of discussing in Christian or anti-Christian periodicals. Eh, okay, in his anguish, the patient can, of course, be encouraged to revenge himself by some vindictive feelings directed towards the German leaders. Eh, that's good so far as it goes. Remember, Screwtape wants you to be filled with hatred. Of course he would. He's a demon. But he doesn't think general hatred toward, quote, the Germans does very much. Why? Well, because it's usually a sort of melodramatic and mythical hatred directed against imaginary scapegoats. You know? I hope I don't offend anybody who loves this team, but as a lifelong Bengals fan, you know, I, I hate the Steelers, you know? <laughs> but I know people who are Steelers fans, and I really like them. So it turns out, I guess my hatred of the Steelers is... Melodramatic, and certainly melodramatic. I know that to be a fact. But it's mythical. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Screw tape's like, yeah, we would like to encourage that in Tom's life. It's not a good Christian quality, it's a vice. But it, the problem is, well, it's on imaginary scapegoats. See, he's never met those people in real life. They're lay figures modeled on what he, get, what he gets from the newspapers. So the results of such fanciful hatred are often the most disappointing. And of all the humans, the English are in this respect the most deplorable milksops. I don't know why British people caught astray uh, from C.S. Lewis there, but I just think, that, uh, I think that's hilarious. They're creatures of that miserable sort who loudly proclaim that torture is too good for their enemies. And they give tea and cigarettes to the first wounded German pilot who turns up at the back door. <laughs> You see what he's saying? They're like, death to all my enemies. We hate these people. But then when the German POW shows up, they're like, oh, come here. You know, he's like, so what do you got? You got this, the hate is mythical, but the love falls on the actual POW. So Screwtape says, we got to figure this out. We got to fix this. Do what you will. There's going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul. So the great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbor's whom he meets every day, and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he does not know, you guys. Is that not brilliant? The malice thus becomes wholly real and the benevolence largely imaginary. Look, there's no good at all of inf inflaming his hatred of Germans if at the same time a pernicious habit of charity is growing up between him and his mother, his employer, the man he meets in the train. Think of your man as a series of concentric circles, his will being the innermost, by will uh, he means his heart. 
his intellect coming next, and finally his fantasy. Now, you can hardly hope at once to exclude from all the circles everything that smells of the enemy. But you've got to keep shoving all the virtues outward till they're finally located in the circle of fantasy and all the desirable qualities inward into the will. It's only so far as they reach the will and are there embodied in habits that the virtues are really fatal to us. I, I don't, of course, mean what the patient mistakes for his will. And most of us think of will um, incorrectly as willpower. He's talking about, no, he's talking about heart. The conscious fume, uh, like an angry mood. The fume and fret of resolutions and clenched teeth. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. The real center, what the enemy calls the heart. All sorts of virtues painted in the fantasy or approved by the intellect or even in some measure loved and admired will not keep a man from our father's house. Indeed, they may make him more amusing when he gets here. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. What is he saying in this paragraph? Look, you can't totally rid the guy of virtue. So what you want to do is work the virtues out and the vices in so that his benevolence is imagined and lands on imaginary people and his actual love never falls on uh, anybody he knows and the people he knows he's actually hateful to. The best uh, way I ever heard this said, <laughs> let me erase my, uh, my anxious stick figure. He should be focusing on the fear itself. This, this guy, he needs to be focused on the person he's helping, not on himself. Get his eyes off himself. See that? Spiritual law. <clears throat> this sounds like Tim Keller. I don't know if he said it, but let's say Keller. It sounds like something he would have said. That's why Jesus commands. You've heard this? That's why Jesus commands. Love thy neighbor. Not just love the world. Or you could put the world, you could put people or humanity or whatever. Notice carefully. Jesus' command to Christians is love your neighbor, not love the world. You know why? Because everybody loves the world. If I said, do you love humanity? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you love, do you love the poor? Oh, love, love the poor, the world. I'm a Christian. Try to take care of the poor. Yeah. What about your neighbor, Bob? I noticed his dog's been barking a lot at 3 a.m. How you doing, Bob? Not a fan. <laughs> it's easy to love the world. The world is a concept. The world's dog doesn't bark at 3 a.m., right? I don't actually have a neighbor, Bob, who, if anything, we are the neighbor, Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you ever get it? So Jesus doesn't say, love humanity. He says, love Harry from accounting, who keeps saying there's something wrong with your TPS reports. You got it? He doesn't say, so what Satan wants you to do is to let your, your love land on concepts, because concepts never felt the benefit of your generosity. That's why he says, no, love that person in front of you, because that person in front of you is going to feel the blessing of that love. That's why Jesus says, love your neighbor, not just love humans, love the world, love humanity. And that's what he means by, if you can, and, oh, oh, and hatred works the same way. Get him to never, oh, right, I would never hate this group of people. And, you know, like in the case of World War II, you got this British soldier. I would never hate the Germans. I'm a, I'm a Christian man now. I'd never hate the Germans. Meanwhile, he's showing hatred to his, his mother who he lives with. See? You want to work the virtues outward until they land on nobody and work the vices closer and closer. That's also why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice, starts, uh, he says to the Pharisees, he gives these examples of how you followed the law. And he'll say something like, oh, you guys are patting yourself on the back. 
Uh, the law says thou shalt not murder, and you guys are patting yourself on the back because you've never taken somebody else's life, yeah? Have you considered this? Uh, if you say with anger in your heart, right, you say, you know, you're a fool. You've already committed murder in your heart. you got anger. His point is it's the same seed that's going to blossom into anger just because you never took the, took the uh, uh, actual act into your own hands. doesn't mean you didn't have the same seed that was germinating there. You know, you guys are, are knocking yourself out, patting yourself on the back because you've never committed adultery. You've never slept with someone that's not your wife. Well, yeah, but you had lust in your heart, he says. So it, don't you see? It's the same seed. And what Jesus was after was changing your heart. And that's why he starts, the, obviously, does the exact opposite of what Screwtape is trying to do. Well, Screwtape would rather you, just for the record, Screwtape would rather you love no one. He'd rather you hate everybody, both the imaginary and the real. But if he, if he had to pick, he would rather all of your love fall to the, quote, world, and your hatred rest on your neighbor, if Screwtape had to pick. That is letter six. That one may be one that's worth rereading. I would go back through that one. That one gets me every time uh, I go through it, and I hope that helps. If anybody would like copies of my uh, stick figures, uh, they're on my Etsy page, and uh, I'll cross-stitch them, and uh, hopefully that's a blessing. <laughs> Just what you need. Pictures of other people worrying as you have your own worries. Okay. Let's go to letter seven. Um, letter seven begins with a question about whether or not we should let the patient in on the fact um, of, uh, of these demons trying to trip him up. <clears throat> so it says, my dear Wormwood, I wonder you should ask me whether it is essential to keep the patient in ignorance of your own existence. Well, that question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by the high command. Our policy, for the moment, is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. Now, before we go any further, he's going to use some words here that uh, we don't use today like they would have used back in uh, Lewis's day. And uh, the two words here, kind of get a working definition of both these two. He's going to use the word materialist. He's going to use the word magician. When we use the word materialist, um, you know, we usually think of a materialist as a greedy person. A person always wants the really nice things. Uh, and when we think of magician, we think of, you know, an illusionist, David Copperfield, or something like that. He's not using these words like that at all. When he uses materialist, he's talking about the actual philosophy of materialism, which is to say uh, the only thing that's real is that which we can um, uh, perceive through our senses. Okay, so the material world is all that there is. That's what he means by materialist. So materialist would quite naturally then uh, be a atheistic person because they'd say since we can't know God, we can't see God, we can't touch or taste or sense uh, or smell God, then therefore uh, he's not real. So that would be a person who's materialist. There's no spiritual world because you can't see it. Magician. A magician would be the opposite of this. This is a person who's consumed with the spiritual world and is willing to use dark spiritual forces to get power or to, to use power. So this would be an occultist. Okay? That's how they're using these words. That'll be helpful for you uh, to understand what he's saying here. The question is, uh, should we let the patient know that we're out here? Should we let the patient... And by the way, if you want a refresher on this, go back all the way to the preface where he talks about uh, there are two equal but opposite errors people fall in when thinking about demons. One is to deny their existence. Remember this? The other 
is to not only uh, believe they exist, but to take an unhealthy interest in them and to dive deep into all this stuff. And he says, we really don't care. Satan likes either one. And we're ple- I believe the line is, he's ple- we're pleased. A materi- he, we hail a materialist and a magician with the same delight. So here he's just revisiting that point. He's going back to it. I'll show you where. Right now, uh, we are favoring the materialists because our policy is to conceal ourselves. And by the way, I would argue that in 2023 America, that is probably still uh, their current policy. Of course, he writes, this has not always been so. And I would argue that this is not always so in the world right now. I have missionary friends who are in different parts of the globe who would say that they're working in uh, people groups that are filled with uh, the spirit world. And they're very aware of the spirit world. And so for them to explain that there's an enemy of God, a fallen angel named Satan, the adversary, that fits right in with their cultural narrative. And they, they understand that perfectly. So I would say... Even not in 2023, all over the globe is this consistent. But I would say that uh, in America, I would make the case, uh, I won't make it here now, but just, uh, uh, you may not agree, but I I think we're probably here. Uh, Okay, here's why. We're faced with a, we're really faced with a cruel dilemma. Uh, Oh, oh, screw tape. Oh, cry me a river. You're in a cruel dilemma. When the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. In other words, we, uh, we, we lose out on all that occult Satanism stuff. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we can't make them materialists and skeptics. And that's where I think we are now. So basically, Satan's just trying to deny, uh, uh, don't let anybody know that he's out there and turn the world. I think this goes back to the stream uh, in 2023, it's kind of like, don't rock the boat. If everybody's just sort of amusing themselves through life watching Netflix and they're on their road to perdition, why would you mess that up? If that's what's working, let's stick with the materialist thing. And I think that's his plan. But he has an even more insidious, diabolical plan. <laughs> At least not yet. I have great hopes that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize their science. Lewis has a great bit on science in the book, Mere Christianity. And I use it to talk to people who are uh, very scientific, especially, it's, Mere Christianity is a book of apologetics. It's saying you should believe in the gospel because it's true. It's, 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 it's intellectually robust and existentially satisfying. That's why you should be a follower of Christ. You shouldn't, I mean, yeah, you, you get great comfort from the gospel, but the only reason you should believe in the gospel is whether or not a dead Nazarene Jew got up and walked out of a grave. If that fact is true, I'm in. If it's not true, I'm out. Like the historical fact of the resurrection is what our Christian faith is built on. It's not built on Christianity is good because it's comforting. Lots of things are comforting. Uh, Yes, but if you seek truth, comfort may come. If you seek comfort in something that's not true, you may end up with neither. At any rate... His big thing with science is science at its best just observes, right, and makes hypotheses. I, I, I observe. I pointed my telescope to such and such part of the solar system, and here's what I observed on such and such night. And if you have a telescope, and from the same place you do it, you make your observations. You try to repeat. You see if you come up with the same thing. And from that, let's make hypotheses. So Lewis is a, a fan of science, as am I, when science is done right. What he is picking on here and saying Screwtape wants to emotionalize and mythologize science to such an extent that what is, in effect, a belief in us, us demons, though not under that name, will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in the enemy. 
In other words, we've got a good start here. The life force, the worship of sex, some aspects of psychoanalysis may here prove useful. Oh, if once we can produce our perfect work, the materialist magician, the man not using but veritably worshiping what he vaguely calls forces, while denying the existence of spirits, ah, then the end of the world will be in sight. What on earth is he talking about? What's he trying to say? Screwtape's goal is to get people who are, and you tell me how, how scary, you tell me how far along he is in 2023 America in this, in this mission. He's trying to get people who at the same time will absolutely be spiritual people and believe in spirits, but not believe in God. That sounds eerily like a lot of people I know. They, so let me see if I understand this straight. You're in the new age. You believe in life forces. You believe in a spirit world. Yeah. So when I say a dead Nazarene Jew came uh, uh, and, and, and got up and walked out of a grave. So you're saying God, who's triune, came as a baby in Bethlehem. Yeah, I can't believe any of that. Okay, but you believe in all this mysterious spiritual stuff, but, but not the one like spiritual being that would save you. Correct. <laughs> a materialist magician. Conveniently materialist when it comes to the God who saves and conveniently magician when it comes to all other spiritual life forces. <laughs> and he wrote that in 1941. I think Screwtape has made advances in that. I think. Well, the end of the war will be in sight. There's a little irony there. Uh, oh, Screwtape, the end of the war is in sight, but not how you think. But in the meantime, we must obey our orders. I do not think you'll have much difficulty in keeping the patient in the dark. In other words, we're going to try to make we're going to try to make him a materialist. We're going to try to make him sure make sure that he you know doesn't believe in our existence. It'll be easy. Here's why: the fact that quote unquote devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, in other words, if he thinks you know maybe there's like a spiritual force that's arrayed against God, maybe these fallen angels are real and they're out there. If that ever happens, just suggest him a picture of something in red tights. And persuade him that since he can't believe in that, it's an old textbook method of confusing them. He therefore cannot believe in you. Everybody got it? All right. So just make him think of the devils, you know, the pitchforks and the red tights and all that stuff. And if he goes, well, that's ridiculous, then uh, just make him assume that, uh, that the whole thing must be ridiculous. Now he comes back to politics. So I, I would label chapter 7 politics. I've left myself six minutes to cover politics. <laughs> I have much to say. I've not forgotten my promise to consider whether he should make the patient an extreme Democrat or an extreme Republican. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I misspoke. Uh, an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. <laughs> All extremes, except extreme devotion to the enemy, are to be encouraged. Here we go. Now, obviously in World War II... It wouldn't have been like the American two part, mostly two-party system, Democrats, Republicans. For them, in the middle of this war, it was what was dividing England was was whether or not we should jump all in and be a part of opposing the Nazi cause and, and, and extreme patriotism, or extreme pacifism. No, we should not be getting involved in World War II. Okay, the important thing is whatever he jumped into, make it extreme because all extremes, except extreme devotion to the enemy, are to be encouraged. Now, not always, of course, but at this period. Some ages of, I'll read this, and then you have to decide in 2023 America which one we are. Some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and it's our business to soothe them yet faster asleep. 
Other ages, of which the president is one, are unbalanced and prone to faction on Twitter. And it's our business to inflame them. <laughs> so I, I, I gave away which one I think we are <laughs> as a nation. Uh, I think we are unbalanced and prone to faction. And the devil wants to pour kerosene all over the raging fires of how divided this country is. I think he, he can't get enough. He loves it. Uh, you know, I, somebody said that when two people get in a battle on social media, it's called a flame war. And I thought, you know, that, that, that's pretty appropriate because I think it has a diabolical source. Well, any small coterie, that word just means a clique, any small clique bound together by some interest which other men dislike or ignore tends to, <laughs> we all know this, tends to develop inside itself a hothouse mutual admiration. <laughs> hothouse is a heated greenhouse. Uh, aren't we great? Don't we, this is a small click, this is the thinking, don't we have a corner on truth? Boy, isn't it good to really, they, nobody understands like us, you know, we really get it. And towards the outer world, a great deal of pride and hatred, which is entertained without shame because the cause is its sponsor and it's thought to be impersonal. Well, I'm sorry, I just had to tell the truth like it was. I'm sorry I had to go on that talk show as a political uh, opponent and just tear that person down and show great hatred. And yeah, it did come across as hatred, but you know what? I'm glad I did it because of the cause. That's what Screwtape wants, that kind of nonsense. Even when the little group exists originally for the enemy's own purposes, this remains true. In other words, even though it might have started with their heart in the right place, it remains true. We want the church to be small. Not only that fewer men may know the enemy, and not only so that no one can fit in the fellowship hall. <laughs> we want the church to be small, not only that fewer men may know the enemy, but so that those who do may acquire the uneasy intensity and defensive self-righteousness of a secret society or clique. Here, I think this, these are the groups, the, the cults that say uh, there's only going to be 144,000 people in heaven. And the people who tell you that are all conveniently part of the 144,000. You know what I mean? Like one time I would be willing to talk to somebody if they're like, yep, part of this group. You need to join it. There's only 144,000 that are going to get in. Are you one of them? Actually, no. And I'm bummed, but what can you do? It's the rules. Come in. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to talk to you. <laughs> Uh, that, that's the stuff he's talking about. So anytime these church uh, 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 cults spin off, but even the church herself, um, uh, over time, uh, to our shame, everybody in here has had an experience. Everybody has had an experience where the one place that should be arms wide open, safe for everybody to come, has felt like pushed away. Uh, so if you're like, well, I thought I was the only one who felt that, everybody feels that. You're walking into a hospital for centers. You're walking into an urgent care. You're walking into a group of people who have literally admitted, I can't save myself. I'm too selfish and messed up. Uh, so that's the group. Um, and then that group does this thing where they get together every Sunday. Like, that, that's smart. Let's put all these centers together. Oh, I know. And let's elect one of the centers to stand up every Sunday and open up the Bible and to remind all the other centers that God saves sinners. This is a recipe for kindness, I'm sure, right? Uh, and yet that's what, that's what a church is. It's a group of forgiven sinners who are clinging to the grace of God. Nonetheless, uh, has been guilty of this very thing. And that's what Screwtape wants. Well, 
The church herself, of course, is heavily defended. I love that. That's an understatement. Yeah, uh, Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against her. So, ha, in your face, Ruthie. And we have yet to quite succeed in giving her all the characteristics of a faction. No, you never will. Isn't that something? In spite of everything, the church uh, has managed. Uh, uh, God is still defending and Jesus is still uh, cleaning his bride. Okay, but subordinate factions within her have often produced admirable results. Remember the parties of Paul and of Apollos at Corinth? Down to the high and low parties in the Church of England. In other words, there's a schism in the Church of England. And he's talking about one of the very first churches. Um, do, you, do you remember in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul writes to him, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people. There's quarreling among you, my brothers. Some of you are saying, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. He's like, come on, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Is everybody, can everybody picture? There's divisions and cliques and factions, even when in the church. You know, you can just imagine the... Uh, uh, some of them said, I follow Paul. Those are the, those are the, those are the charter members at Corinth. Those are the old-timers. They say, hey, listen now, I was here at this church when Paul was pastor. I don't mind pulling rank on you newbies. And then you had the well-educated elites blown away by their favorite orator, Apollos. Well, we must think logically through the faith. And I believe it is the things Apollos says that best hold our attention. And then you had Jewish Christians who were like, we have the true faith. I follow Peter, Cephas. And then you had the sanctimonious super spiritual who's like, oh, you follow Paul? You follow Peter? I follow Jesus. And we're like, oh, please. <laughs> right? He's like, come on. There's no divisions in the body of Christ. Be united. Playing in a screw tape's hands. Well, if your patient can be, in a, can, be, can be induced to become a conscience's objector. All right, so maybe, okay, maybe make him an ardent pacifist. Okay. A conscientious objector, bow out of the draft, he'll automatically find himself in one of a small, vocal, organized, and unpopular society. And the effects of this on such a baby Christian, one so new to Christianity, will almost certainly be good. Eh, but almost certainly. Has he had any serious doubts about the lawfulness of serving in the just war before this present war began? Is he a man of great physical courage, so great that he'll have no half-conscious misgivings about the real motives of his pacifism? Can he, when nearest to honesty, because no human's ever very near, feel fully convinced that he's actuated wholly by the desire to obey the enemy? If he's that sort of man, his pacifism probably won't do much good, and the enemy will probably protect him from the usual consequences of belonging to a sect. In other words, if his heart is right, and he's got the right motives, it's probably not going to help us to make him a pacifist. Your best plan in that case would be to attempt a sudden, confused emotional crisis from which he might emerge as an uneasy convert to patriotism. Such things can often be managed. Ah, but if he's the man I take him to be, try pacifism. I want everybody to see, he doesn't really care which political party he aligns with. I want everybody to hear that. Satan can use either one. Whichever he adopts, here it is, this is it. I'll read it, I, won't have, I haven't allowed myself much time for comment, but this is my speech. If you ever wonder, like, you know, what does Tom think about politics? I think this. Whichever he adopts, your main task will be the same. Let him begin by treating the patriotism or the pacifism as part of his religion. Then let him under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. You know, it used to be, if you were a Democrat or Republican, that was like the fifth most important thing about you. 
It was like, first I'm a Christian. Then you need to know I'm a, I'm, I'm a husband. I'm married. You know. And then you need to know Auburn or Alabama. Here it is. I declare it. You know what I mean? And like way down the list. Now he's saying, make it higher. And the important thing, make it even higher than their devotion to Jesus Christ. That's wrong. Gradually, quietly, nurse him on to the stage at which religion becomes merely part of the cause. And Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can produce in favor of the British war effort or of pacifism. The attitude in which you want to guard against is that in which temporal affairs are treated primarily as material for obedience. Once you've made the world an end and faith a means, you've almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he's pursuing. Provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, crusades matter more to him than prayer, sacrifice, and charity, he's ours. And the more quote-unquote religious on those terms, the more securely ours. I can show you a pretty cage full down here. Your affectionate uncle, screw tape. Saying, let, the, let Christianity be something that's used. And I, for one, feel like politicians on both sides of the aisle, I, I'm getting a little weary of being told that as an evangelical Christian, I'm useful as a voting block. The kingdom of Jesus Christ will not be subsumed or used by anybody. And uh, my ultimate allegiance is not, it's not to any, anything that can be found on this globe. I'm as patriotic as everybody else. And I have a whole speech here written out about how Christians can engage in politics without uh, becoming guilty of screw tape schemes. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, my ultimate allegiance is to a king and a kingdom. Lord Jesus, you are the king. And before you, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Help us, your people, to engage thoughtfully as we engage in politics. We live in a democracy and we're supposed to engage in these things. Uh, so as we do, God grant that we would be thoughtful. Uh, grant, oh God, that through it all we would bear faithful witness and we would not be used or distracted and we would not subsume our faith into some uh, political box and God we pray that you would guide us to where to keep our minds this week and when we enter into fear and anxiety let us call it out for what it is um, even road rage tomorrow morning let us be aware of it and ask for your mercies baked fresh every morning brand new mercies in the morning let them wash over us and let them nourish us for that feeling and that thought. And Lord, if we uh, uh, are praying or doing something good, let us just kind of forget about ourselves for a minute and really focus on the person we're helping or, or the blessing we're trying to provide or, or, or prayer to you. And take our, in that case, take our eyes off ourselves. Lord, again, I pray that if anything is helpful in understanding and, and increasing our spiritual self-awareness, then let us understand it more and more. Even as we sleep tonight, let us reflect on this and wake up with even new insights. And if anything's unhelpful, Lord, I pray it be forgotten immediately. Lord, thank you for your grace. I thank you that we get to learn together as a family. We pray thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen.